Some firsts in life you'll never forget, like your first bite of Wingstop. Because with Wingstop, you're always in for a world of flavor. Freshly made just-for-you wings tossed in 11 mouth-watering flavors, like the bold, zesty blast of lemon pepper or the sweet, slow burn of mango habanero. Top it off with our fresh, hand-cut, perfectly seasoned fries. And oh, baby, it's time to open that bag and dive right in. Wingstop, where flavor gets its wings. Blog Talk Radio. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Welcome once again to the Journey Home Outreach Ministries Bible Study. This is Message of the Bible, Lesson 8. I am Elder Faye, your teacher for the Message of the Bible series. Our lesson this week will come from the entire chapter, 17th chapter of St. John, verse by verse, where we will explore the prayers of Jesus just before he went to the cross. In John, the 17th chapter, the first verse begins. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. We will realize from these verses we are about to study that Jesus is about to face the cross. He's about to suffer the most horrible death that any man has ever suffered, the agony and shame of the cross. But look what he does before being separated from his disciples. He goes to the Father on their behalf and on his own behalf. There are three specific prayers that Jesus prayed in the 17th chapter of John. And if you listen carefully you'll find that those days when you can't pray for yourself, you'll find much comfort in remembering that Christ has already prayed for you. So let's listen to the first prayer. First, Christ prayed for himself. In John 17, chapter the first verse, he prayed, Father, the hour has come. The hour Jesus was speaking of was the hour of the great sacrifice of the tragedy and shame of the cross. The very hour for which Christ came into the world had now come. He prays, glorify thy son, for you have granted him authority over all flesh, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Just imagine what glory would come to Jesus with such power and authority. Power of all flesh, the power to be able to give the gifts of eternal life. He goes on in verse 3, says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want you to hear this again. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do we get to know God in such a way that gives us eternal life? We know him by our knowledge of and acceptance of him. The knowledge of God is shown in Christ Jesus. That knowledge of God that was taught us by Jesus is the very thing that is necessary for the achievements of our salvation. The key to that knowledge is our understanding of faith and love. Understanding of our faith in Christ and understanding the love that Christ has for us. In verse 4, he said, I have bought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Christ, he begins to think about the glory he had with the Father even before the world began. He was co-ruler of the entire universe of God the Father. This must have helped Jesus much to face what he was about to face, to endure on the cross. He finished the work that God had given him to do. And now he was about to return to that power and glory he had with God in the beginning. In this first prayer of Jesus as a man, he prayed to God for himself. Eternal life could not be given to believers unless Christ, the mediator, both glorified the Father and was glorified by him. So let's move to the second prayer. Jesus prayed for his disciples. As a mediator, he prayed as a go-between between God and man. Although Jesus was humbly praying, yet he spoke with authority as one was equal to, equal to the Father. In verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Here Christ prayed for those that are his, the one God had given him. He viewed them as being given to him as sheep to a shepherd. In John, the first chapter, 11 verse, he declared, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He viewed them as to be kept as a patient to a physician, to be cured. In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, the fifth verse tells us, he was wounded for our salvation. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He viewed them as children to a tutor to be taught. In Matthew the 17th chapter 50 verse he says, And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We studied in our previous lessons that Jesus is the last great prophet. And what were the prophets' responsibility? Were to teach the people and lead them in the way to God. Thus we see that Jesus is going to deliver on what God had granted him to do. It should bring us great satisfaction that we can rely on Christ. In the seventh verse, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. That he, all he is, all he has, all he has said and did, all he is going to do and will do, is coming from God the Father. In the eighth verse, I have I I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I come from you, and they believe that you sent me. That's where we're trying to get with our walk with Christ, to know with certainty that he came from God and believe that God sent him. In the ninth verse, he said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. He wasn't praying for the world, not at this time. He came into the world to save it. But we're not to conclude from the statement that he does not want the rest of the world to be saved. That is going to be up to us to bring them to Christ. But now, however, his petition is confined to the apostles, those faithful followers who are hanging up on his word. That little band of men he was sending out into the world to spread the gospel of good news of the kingdom. And verse 10, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
Let's listen to that statement again. I am glorified in them. Christ's glory here upon the earth is seen in the world through his disciples, those that believe and trust in him for their salvation. In the 11th verse, I remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. He pleased to the Father that they may be kept through his power in his name, name that he had given Jesus. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. Notice here, Christ did not pray that they might be rich and great in the world. He pleased with the Holy Father that he would keep them by his power and for his glory, that they might be united in affection even according to the union of the Father and the Son. He did not pray that his disciples should be removed out of the world so that they might escape the rage and the violence of men because they had a great work to do for the glory of God and for the benefit of mankind. But he prayed that the Father would keep them from the evil, from being corrupted by the world, and keep them from the remains of the sins in their own hearts. And, for the, and from the power and the craftiness of Satan, so that they might pass through the world as though in an enemy's country, as he had done. We as followers of Christ are not left here to pursue the same desires as the men around us, but to glorify God and to serve the generation in which we live by telling them about Jesus. The Spirit of God in true Christian should be opposed to the spirit of the world. And verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in, in them in thy name. Those that thou gave me, I kept them, and none of them is lost. But Judas, the son of perdition, which the scripture had predicted. In verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. In verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world had hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. I pray not that I should take them out of the world, but that I should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus prayed, I pray not that thou should take them out of the world. The world had hated Jesus and was about to crucify him, but he was not of the world. So the world would hate the apostles also who were not of the world. Christ continued to pray in 17th verse, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In the 18th verse, he said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for thy sake, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. In previous lessons, we learned the difference between the disciples and the apostles. The apostles, those who would spread the gospel, establish his kingdom. It is for them he is pleading that the Father may keep them through his name. He especially pleads that they may be kept one, united, as the Father and the Son are united. And he says in the 21st, neither I pray for these alone. But for them also who shall believe me through their words. This is where we enter the third prayer. 
Jesus prayed for all believers. And the 21st verse said that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Hear Christ praise for the unity, unity of the saints. Christ, though all his discourse constantly showed his intimate union between the Father and himself. The Father is in him and he is in the Father. All that the Father is, is his, and his is the Father. They have no separate kingdom. They have no separate will. They have no separate interests. Such a union is demanded among the disciples of Christ. Such union is, a, is impossible while they are divided into various denominations with separate, with separate works, separate interests, and separate churches, and separate mission, missions. Now, as hard as this may hit you, when you get into denominationalism, it is utterly opposed to what Christ is praying for. And there's no excuse we can give to offend it. Let me throw something out to you, just for your consideration. According to the Atlas of Global Christianity, this was published in 2010, it said there are almost 2.3 billion Christians worldwide. And those Christians belong to over 41,000 different denominations, each with its own doctrines and rules of conduct. Considering that information, it would be an understatement to say that Christianity is a severely divided faith. Jesus prayed, Jesus' prayers are not filled in the church where all are not perfectly joined together of the same mind. And of the same judgment. If Christ abides in the heart, the one life should dwell, should draw all who have Christ formed within them within them to one into one family. This kind of unity is needful. And for this kind of unity the Lord prays, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The Church of Christ must be one union that the world can see and recognize one body as there is one Lord. In verse 21, it said that they all may be one, as thy Father are in me, I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. In verse 22, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that may be one even as we are one. God gave Christ the glorious sonship, which resulted resulted in their unity. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. The glory which thou gavest me, I gave them. So Christ gave to his disciples the glory of becoming the sons of God, which should result result in our unity not only with the Father and Son, but also unity with other believers in Christ. Nothing feeds Christian skepticism more than church quarrels and division. In 1 John, the third chapter, the first verse states, See what great love the Father has lavished on us 
that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know him is because they cannot see him in us. We cannot pray this prayer of Jesus and continue to labor to build up skepticism. As the Son and the Father one, have one work, one kingdom, one spirit, one interest, so must all who follow who are followers of Christ. We must keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body, one spirit, there is one Lord. Our Lord especially prayed that all believers might be as one body under one head, animated by one soul, by our union with Christ and the Father in us through the Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us. The more we dispute about lesser things, the more we throw doubt upon Christianity. Let us endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, praying that all believers may be may be more and more united in one mind and one purpose. By this alone shall we convince the world of the truth and excellency of our religion, which is Christianity, and find sweeter commune with God and all of his saints. In verse 24, he continued to pray, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. In verse 25 said, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know what, that you have sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. In verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make them known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We as believers in Christ have to realize the blessed opportunity and responsibility that that has been placed on this generation. We are the only generation that has the technology to spread the gospel in record speed to all four corners of the world. You know, I have been criticized by friends and relatives of being a part of an Internet-only ministry. They say, I I just can't wrap my head around such a ministry. I say to that, open up your mind to the Holy Spirit, the best psychiatrist in the world has ever known, and have your head examined. Get on board, because as this technology spreads, soon every place on earth will have access to satellite station, Internet access. Get excited. Step out of the box what you're thinking. Because in Matthew 24, chapter the 16th verse said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end will come. Let's be about spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone on earth. So everyone on earth will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. That's where our focus should be. It's time to stop trying so hard to be Christians and start thinking about being disciples and missionaries and evangelists for Christ to the entire world by whatever means God make available to you. There's nothing in the world that gives me more pleasure than joining other believing saints in a congregation of true praise and worship. But I can't stay behind the walls. There's too much work to be done in the fields. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are still few. Let us stop for a moment. This Good Friday. And think of the love Christ 
has for us to willingly endure the shame and agony of the cross just so we can spend eternity with, with him and share in his glory with the Father. So join me next next week. He is risen. What do we do as believers now? May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you peace. Some firsts in life you'll never forget, like your first bite of Wingstop. Because with Wingstop, you're always in for a world of flavor. Freshly made just for you wings tossed in 11 mouth-watering flavors, like the bold, zesty blast of lemon pepper or the sweet, slow burn of mango habanero. Top it off with our fresh hand-cut, perfectly seasoned fries. And oh, baby, it's time to open that bag and dive right in. Wingstop, where flavor gets its wings. Some firsts in life you'll never forget, like your first bite of Wingstop. Because with Wingstop, you're always in for a world of flavor. Freshly made just for you wings tossed in 11 mouth-watering flavors, like the bold, zesty blast of lemon pepper or the sweet, slow burn of mango habanero. Top it off with our fresh hand-cut, perfectly seasoned fries. And oh, baby, it's time to open that bag and dive right in. Wingstop, where flavor gets its wings. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.